Okay, let's talk about candles for a minute. Do you know that almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years? It's insane. That's why I think it's really cool that Notes candles exist. They're working to eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option. Notes has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel over and over again. It is super easy. The candles are made with fragranced wax beads, so all you do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar and fill it up with the wax beads and enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours. The Santal and Atlas Cedar scent is like this woodsy calming smell. It's so nice. And they have oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, pistachio and rose water, and a total of 13 really great options to choose from. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality home fragrance by making the switch to notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Right now, notes is giving our friends 15% off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using the code that sounds fun. Just use that code that sounds fun when you're placing your order. That's that sounds fun at notescandle.com slash that sounds fun. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We've got a great show in store. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to take a moment and share about one of our incredible partners. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're like me, every now and then, life and all the things we need to balance and handle can just feel like a bit much. Home and family and friends and the internet and work and church and health and just being a human in the world can be a lot, right? And when we don't deal with things that feel overwhelming, it can cause us to feel burned out. That might look like exhaustion, feeling helpless or unmotivated. And when we run into those feelings, they are telling us something like it might be time to reach out for some help. One of the ways to protect against that is with therapy. I'm really grateful for my counselor and her voice in my life. Having a trusted therapist is something I'd recommend for you too. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That sounds fun, friends. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash that sounds fun. Y'all, today on the show, I get to talk with my friend Andy Crouch, absolutely one of my heroes in the faith space. This guy, you guys, he is the author of four books, including the widely known and often talked about on That Sounds Fun, Tech Wise Family. He's also a partner for theology and culture at Praxis, which is an organization that works as a creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship. I am a huge fan of Praxis and the work they do. For more than 10 years, Crouch was a producer and then executive editor at Christianity Today. And he is a deep well of thoughtful wisdom and is one of the most brilliant thinkers I know. His new book, The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World, is an absolute game changer. That is the only kind of book he knows how to write, you guys. His work is so helpful in the gray areas we may find ourselves in with boundaries and technology. So I am really grateful he's here to speak into our lives with that today. So here's my conversation with Andy Crouch. 
Andy Crouch, welcome to That Sounds Fun. Thank you. This does sound fun. Okay, good. I hope so. I first owe you a, a public apology that you haven't been on yet. Oh, no, I'm no, so no. sorry. We are such tech-wise family people around here and all your work that I can't believe you haven't been here yet. But thank you for joining today. It's a pleasure. Okay. The life we're looking for. We're just going to jump in. Yes, please. Because what our <laughs> friends on the other side probably know you for is TechWise Family Ideas and and really where faith and culture meet. How'd you get to this? How'd you get to falling in love with maybe, or at least feeling called hmm. to where tech and culture and our faith are colliding? Hmm. Well, I guess I just have concluded it's the biggest story we're living in right now. The story of technology, which is about a hundred-year-old story, yeah. is is shaping all of our lives more deeply than Constantly. any other thing, I yes. would say. So if you're going to think about culture, if you're going to think about faith, if you're going to think about thriving as a human being, you're going to have to figure out what's the place of technology in this. And the more I thought about it, the more I felt like there are actually some very deep things going on. So TechWise mm. Family, which was a book a few years ago— is a very, you know, tried. To, I was trying to be super practical, especially yes. for people at the stage of raising children, families, just thinking through what's the proper place of technology in the home. But I actually think there are some deeper questions, which is like, what's the proper place of technology in the whole human story right. and in everybody's story, including people who aren't married, people who may not have kids or no longer have kids at home. That's my situation. Yeah. You know, so the TechWise family is sort of for a very specific topic. But this book is about the bigger picture and maybe the deeper story that yes. we're in. And also it felt essential to write about it because I, I think almost all all of us and all of our neighbors feel like something's not right. And I also feel like if we don't change course and redesign and reimagine, uh, we could be in even more trouble yeah. than we already are. So, In the book, you talk about self-driving cars. This is where my brain went when yeah. I saw that. And then you yeah. talk about AI. Yeah. Uh, Pastor and I just on Sunday talked about, personally, I feel like my spiritual life and my physical life are in line and my emotional life is out of line. Oh. And I act like those aren't connected. Yeah. And I'm like, no, if I'm going to say spiritual and physical go together, emotional goes too. Completely. So I got to the AI thing and I thought, is there going to be a day where we remove our physical lives mm -hmm. and we are, our bodies are just housing our organs and everything we do is in technology with our minds? Is that? This is literally what Mark Zuckerberg in particular wants to build. It's no, don't tell me I'm thinking like him. <laughs> no, he renamed his whole company, his whole company from Facebook to Meta. Yeah. Out of, and Meta is a Greek prefix, you know, that means above or beyond something. And the idea of the metaverse, which is their big next bet, like they start out, you know, as this cute little app to connect with your friends from yeah. high school. <laughs> right. Well, Mark Zuckerberg's dream is this virtual reality world that it totally floats free of, of embodied existence in which you have an avatar, right? Which it, it's not incidental. It comes from a worldview that imagines that human beings are really meant to be disembodied spirits, that mm. the body is just a prison for the soul. And, and the dream is that you'll float free of all this messy embodiment and I, that's where, that's where he wants to take us. Do that's we want to go? Right? <laughs> I think it's problem. Yeah. I think it's, it's a very, very deeply, very, it's so ironic. A friend of mine pointed this out, you know, here's one of the richest people in the world. He can have any experience he wants. He can live anywhere in the world he wants. And what he dreams of is escaping this world altogether. Yes. He and could be the most world. comfortable 
physically, he right. there, any comfort he wants, he can pay for. Yeah. And he wants out of his all body. All the pleasures, all the delights, yes. the best food you could imagine, the best places. And he's like, no, 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 I'm dreaming of a disembodied world where I could be much more profoundly in control. I actually yes. think this is a, a lot of the dream is when I'm in the real world of body, soul, emotion, mind, yeah. I often feel small and out of control. But yes. if I could go into a world where I'd be large and in charge, that would be better, even if it means giving up this whole creation. And that's kind of what part of the logic yes. is of what's driving our current technological development. Have you watched Severance yet on Apple Plus? No, I have not. Have people told you about it? Uh, no, all I have seen is like little Twitter ads for it. So yes. I, I honestly know very little about it. They put a chip in your brain that separates your work life from your personal life. Oh, okay. So what happens at work, your personal life does not know about. They call it an innie and an outie, which is terrible language. But but your your personal life does not know what you do at work, and your work life does not know your personal life. That sounds fun. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's the same. No, I love it. I say it on accident all the time. It, it even watching the show is it has me in these conversations with other friends who've watched it of what is the technology doing wow. to our work lives and our personal lives? Wow. Because your job and my job, I can be doing my job sitting on my couch tonight at 10 p.m. if mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I could be not working right now if I'm just taking a nap in my office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it strikes me that it's it's such an interesting word, severance. Uh, it has sever in yes, there. Yes, yes. And I think part of what this both it both reflects a kind of dissociation that's happening in our in our lives. It's it's weird because in some ways, as you say, it's all kind of melding together. But I think we don't feel like our lives tell a sort of consistent story. Mm -hmm. I, I think we feel like we're living kind of multiple personalities, multiple stories. We're stretched very thin. And so we kind of dream of uh, severing one part from the other yes. rather than dreaming of a life that's that's back integrated, whole, connected, not in a hurry to be somewhere else when I'm here. It's, but that's a very distant dream for a lot of us right now. Right. In TechWise Family, you talk a lot about Sabbath rest, a, a day mm. a week, a week a... A week a year. A week a yeah. year. An hour a day, a day a week, a week a year. That's it. How is that playing out with us being whole humans and staying embodied? Are you seeing that play? When people are telling you they're doing that, when they're actually having mm. Sabbath rest from their phones, yeah. how is that playing out of keeping us connected? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm actually, I consistently am amazed at what just one day a week can do. Yes. <laughs> and one hour a day. And, and actually, I mean, maybe the most encouraging example is our two kids. So Catherine and I have two young adult children, Timothy and Amy. Amy wrote a book, a follow-up to TechWise Family called My TechWise Life. It's yeah. her own story of, of kind of growing up and making choices in a world of devices. And and maybe the, what Amy says is her, the thing she is most grateful she took from our family, aside from her faith, generally, is specifically the practice of Sabbath. So she went wow. off to college, went off to this kind of super competitive college. Yeah. And was it was and is, she's a senior now, basically the only person she knows who actually keeps a Sabbath. Wow. And she says, Dad, it is just so life-giving to have this rhythm in my life. And, and 
her friends. So she goes to Cornell, yeah. this Ivy League school. And her friends call her the happy one. They're like, wow. you're, you're the only happy person we know at Cornell. Because these students, they are so stressed. Yes. They are so stretched. They're strivers. They've always been strivers. And my daughter has some of that in her, without a doubt. But it's been tempered by this practice of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And she has found this rhythm that gives her the ability to live with joy and to handle the stress and then to get to work on the days when you're meant to work. Mm -hmm. um, what I've found in my own life, too, I when, when I was writing Techwise Family, I realized there was one part of my life that was not working well. It was the very beginning of every day. I was waking up. We keep the phones out of the bedroom, as mm -hmm. you probably rem remember. Yes. But so they all live in the kitchen. They got plugged in overnight. And I would, but I would go downstairs, and the very first thing I would do as my tea was like brewing yes. was pick up the phone. Yeah. Of course, yeah. like what else is there to do? And I thought this cannot possibly be the best thing yeah. for me. Like first thing in the morning, because it would always generate this like rush of stress hormones. You know, just like ooh, excitement, outrage, intrigue, whatever the notifications were about. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I am going to break this habit. And what is what I decided to do is. Um, before I look at my phone, I'm going to go outside. So I live in a we live in a little house. I can walk out the front Are door. Are y'all in New York? We're in we're in Philadelphia. Okay. In the suburbs of Philadelphia. But I've done this all over the world now. I've uh -huh. done it in New York. I work in New York, so when I'm there, uh, even if I'm staying in like a 30-story yeah. hotel, uh, I will take the elevator down before I look at a screen. And I started doing this about five or six years ago, and it has made such a ridiculous difference in my life because it's so simple. I just leave the phone plugged in. I don't look at it. I make my tea. I take my tea outside and I step out the front door and it's usually relatively early morning. This time of year, it's we're, it's the spring in Philadelphia. Yeah. The birds are singing. I smell the the air, I hear the sounds of creation. I know what phase the moon is now, which I never yes. used to know. Yes. <laughs> I went for probably 20 years with no idea yeah. what the phase of the moon was. And the most like profound effect of it is I just feel small wow. and, and okay with being small. Like wow. I, it's okay to be a creature. I don't have to do everything. I can go back into whatever's on that phone and it'll be all right. And it's just this incredible reset. And I actually would say, I, I know that... How long are you out there? Oh, I mean, well, if it's raining, like <laughs> 10 seconds. <laughs> though, though I have found... I mean, partly this was COVID, too. I think during COVID, we all discovered how much more we could take outside than we thought, oh. whether it's heat and humidity or cold and rainy That's exactly or whatever. Right. But, so I'm out there longer than I thought I would be. Yeah. But there are some days when it's it's pretty short. But I have found that that the rest of the day is just different because I do that. Wow. And I, I couldn't stop doing it now. Uh, it's just the best thing for my heart, soul, mind, mm -hmm. and strength. Yes. I am off my phones on Saturdays. That's mm. my Sabbath day. And, and a thing I'd love for you to talk about, I mean, speaking of the life we're looking for, I mean, part of it is this conversation about connection yeah. and being with people yes. and actually being a person. But I'm not married yet, don't yeah, have kids, yeah. live alone. And so when I'm off my phone, I am You're lonely. really alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and yes. so, and in my morning, I mean, it, it mornings are easier. Uh, but after, when I get home from dinner, if I'm trying to have a good rhythm of putting my phone down at nine and yeah, reading yeah. in bed, I mean, that's like two that's hours a, of 
alone. Long night. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. talk a little bit to our friends who either don't have kids in the home anymore, so it's just mm-hmm. the part, or they've lost a partner, or yep. they're not married yet. Talk about why TechWise life and why this is the life we really long for is still mm. true, even if mm. we're lonely. Well, so a couple thoughts about that. I mean, it's kind of, one that's kind of obvious probably is, is just uh, there's a lot of ways to be lonely, yeah. and there's a lot of people who live in houses with other people who are very lonely. That's exactly right. Um, and then there are people who live alone, and some people who are called to a kind of amazing depths of solitude who, yes. who don't often feel lonely. So there's something else going on in, in that kind of intersection of solitude and loneliness. Wow. And just, it's always just so helpful to remember the gra- grass is always greener and we imagine, gosh, if I only had that partner or whatever. And then, of course, there are real losses in life where we lose a person who really yes. was our soulmate. And for various reasons, that person is no longer there. And I'm not at all saying you shouldn't feel loss and grief and and that the world is not the way it should be uh, without a person like that or people like that. But also don't imagine that uh, <laughs> that all the loneliness is because you're alone. Right. Um, it just feels easier but, to stay on Instagram or on TikTok oh, until oh, the complete, phone hits me oh, in the face. <laughs> oh, completely, completely. <laughs> I mean, so the other thing is we need a revolution in social architecture in the United States in particular. Yes. Because the idea that many of us live alone for long seasons of our life, this is just not right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I'm not necessarily saying you shouldn't have your own place. Sometimes that's appropriate. But here's uh, one way I thought about it recently. I actually think a good index of relational health for everybody, no matter what your living situation is, is how many people who don't live with you have the key to your house. Wow. That's what a what great would be the question. answer for you? Well, I have a code on my door. Yeah, yeah. And so I bet five people have huh? that code. So that's pretty good. Because I was thinking like three is a okay. threshold. Okay. So I live with my wife, but we there's at least four people for us who have the key to our door or the code, yeah. same as you. Yeah. Thanks. I wonder I wonder if married people have less people who have the code. Oh, complete I think <laughs> almost certainly. Yeah. And so you need we all need uh we our lives need to be much more interlocking yeah. on a daily basis with people close enough just to be around mm-hmm. that you wouldn't feel like a day w- without a phone was like having lost a relational limb, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because you'd actually and and the problem is it's very hard to have this life right now the way the United States yes. is built, especially yes. our more car uh, car dependent car optimized cities. Yes. But. I'm always thinking about how can we redesign so we are closer to people that we come to love and trust Mm -hmm. and that our lives just naturally interact and intersect with Mm -hmm. them in the course of a day rather than having to mediate it all through technology. Yes. My wife and I actually, this next year, Catherine has a year off from her normal job and we're moving to Boston where we met and lived for a while. And we are moving into the first floor of a friend's house. (laughs) This is a couple, they have kids. Actually, her mom lives with them so that they have three generations living there. We are now going to be the downstairs neighbors. We're going to be living in a very basic apartment, I can tell you. But we are doing it because we sense we need much more proximity in our lives and and that we don't want to mediate all that. Mm -hmm. So what you're sensing on those Saturdays, especially towards the end of the day, is not just – it's not uh, just something – 
that you need to solve. It's something like it's the whole culture yeah. needs to rethink. Yeah. But I think it can start with us deciding, like, literally, I'm going to move across town so I'm closer to that person or that family or that community that I trust. Yeah. yeah. I just think more of us need to be willing to make those choices. Jenny Allen's book, Find Your People. Yes. Uh, when Jenny and I talked, I made this decision after I read her book and she was on the show that I'm not going to use Uber anymore. Oh. I've just decided I'm going to ask for rides. Or oh, wow. I'm going to figure, I'm like, I, you write about this as well yes. in the life we're looking for. The more money you have, the less dependent you have to be on anyone. Exactly. And I'm not rich, but I have enough money to Uber so somewhere. just take the Uber. Yes. Which and is I don't one have any dependents, so I have more money than my, my friends who have kids, for sure. Right. <laughs> but it is making me more independent. Wow. And so while I'm, I haven't sold my house and moved into a home of a bunch of my friends yet, I'm not using Uber anymore. Because I'm like, no, I'm just going to have to ask my friends. Amazing. And so Amazing. it just is because I, I sense that. I sense, oh, I'm accidentally building a life yes. where I don't need anybody. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And we're all like being lured into that life, yes. I think. Yes, yes. Um, and it, it's why loneliness is epidemic in yes. our world. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about one of our amazing partners, Nutrafol. Do you ever look at your hairbrush and feel like it's collected an entire head of hair, even though you just emptied it? You're not alone. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. It's so many of us. But the good news is there is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women, including me, I opened a new bottle this morning, have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. So many of them say it's helped restore not only their hair's health, but also their confidence. I love that. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning. Stress, yes. Hormones, yes. Environment, yes. Nutrition, yes. And metabolism, yes. Okay, we all deal with all these things, right? In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. And as the powerful ingredients bring your body back into balance, you can also notice improvements to your overall well-being. Things like more restful sleep and less stress and better skin and nails. Yes, please. You can grow thicker, healthier hair, and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code TSF to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and the promo code is TSF. And I have one more amazing partner to tell you about. Babel. Okay, y'all, for most of us, learning a second language in high school or college can be put in quotes. It wasn't exactly a high point in our academic career. I mean, I took several semesters of Spanish, and I can't exactly carry on a great conversation in Spanish now, but I wish I could. But thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, or maybe you're looking to connect in a deeper way with family, or perhaps you've just got some free time and want to do some good mental exercising, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Since I already have a base understanding of it, I 
think Spanish is going to be my first language to try it with Babbel. Their 15-minute lessons make it perfect to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages. You guys, we're going to know so many things. That includes Spanish, French, Italian, German. Yes, 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 yes. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts and games and videos, stories, and even live classes. It is an Enneagram 7's dream with so many options. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three months. That's awesome, you guys. Just go to Babbel.com and use the promo code that sounds fun. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com and the code is that sounds fun. And remember that the links to all of our sponsors and the transcripts of shows as soon as they're available are included in the show notes, but we'll email them all to you on Fridays if you sign up for the AFD Week in Review email. That link is in the show notes below as well. And now back to our conversation with Andy Crouch. When you were writing The Life We're Looking For, I mean, you spend so much time talking about the Book of Romans. And talking about Paul, which all of our friends listening are laughing because I'm not Paul's biggest fan. I'm a Peter gal. I like Peter all day long is my guy. Paul, I think, is a little bit annoying. I think his— I'm writing about a very under, a very neglected part of the Book of Romans. Yes, well. that's what—so will you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Will you yeah, explain yeah. it? Because I think that gets us to the canopy conversation wow. and to where this thing we're talking about right now, Completely. independent lives. So, so this is an amazing thing. At the end of the Book of Romans is Romans 16. It's like the least preached on chapter in the most preached on letter in the New Testament because right. everybody preaches on Romans. But you get to Romans 16, and all it is is a bunch of names. It's, yep. a, it's greeting to all these people. And we read it, and I think the reason we often skim over it is they're very unfamiliar names. Yeah, like, most of these people we literally never hear about anywhere else. Right. We don't know anything about them. Paul does, interestingly, he says something about each person. He he he, he doesn't just list, it's not like a directory. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's like, oh, greet Priscilla and Aquila. They, we suffered together. I remember yeah. that. Then he's like, oh, Rufus, I know your grandmother or yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's just this list of greetings. And it's quite amazing because Paul is almost certainly writing this in Corinth, which is all the way across the ocean, essentially, from Rome. He's never been to Rome. Mm-hmm. And yet there's dozens of people in the church in Rome who he knows by name and who he wants to greet. And then we also discover, and this is what I kind of focus in on in the book, that he's not writing alone. Paul is, you know, we think of writers as sitting by ourselves, probably in front of a screen yeah. these days. That is how I write my books. That's not how Paul wrote his book. He probably, Paul didn't even really write. When he writes, he actually, in one letter, he calls attention to how bad his handwriting is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he would dictate it. There would be other people with him. He'd be thinking out loud, essentially. Someone else would be taking dictation. In the case of Romans, we know the name of the person taking dictation. His name is Tertius because he interrupts Romans 16 to say, I, Tertius, who wrote down this I letter, love this, that you brought this to mind. Yes. 
right? So Tertius speaks up or writes up yeah. and he's like, hey, I'm here too. And actually we're in the house of this guy named Gaius and Erastus, who's the city treasurer or CFO kind of, and then the brother Quartus are here too. So there's this whole community around Paul who is then, in, they are all in turn greeting a whole other community. They're sending their friend Phoebe, who's a philanthropist and part of the Corinth church. She lives in Cancria, which is just down the the shore from yeah. Corinth. She's going to carry the letter that first Christians never sent disembodied communication. They always sent a letter with a person. Wow. So yeah. also with money. They never sent a check. <laughs> like Paul yeah. collects money for the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem is really suffering. And he wants to carry it himself. When they yes. sent money, they sent it with a friend. Yes. And just like your sort of Uber practice of saying, I'm no longer going to do this disembodied life where I just procure the goods and services I need. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rely on friends to do whatever I do. I mean, that would be like the ultimate extension of, yes. of that one thing with how you get around. That's how the first Christians lived. They yeah. just lived this interdependent sort of intersecting lives and such that when Paul is writing this letter, he already knows in a city he's never visited, <laughs> he already knows dozens of people who yeah. he wants to greet by name. He's so deeply woven into a web of relationship. And so are people like Tertius, who may well be a slave. He's certainly a very low class. Like yes. he doesn't have a lot of status or standing. And even society. his name, you said in the book, it means the th- he's the third <laughs> in a chain. Three. Yes. I was like, oh my number gosh, three. his own name says his, I'm not first. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, baby number three. Yeah. And then the guy he says is with them is the brother Quartus, which means number four. Yeah. <laughs> so, so these people... I mean, and if we feel like our world is lonely, this is part of why I wanted to tell this story in this book, because this book is partly about our modern technological world. But I wanted to tell this parallel story from the ancient world because the Roman world was terribly lonely. Mm -hmm. Most people were not even recognized as persons. Now, if you owned a house and were a man of a certain status, it was a very rich world and, and you could do a lot of things and you could write amazing literature and philosophy and so forth. But most people didn't live that way. Most people were, were, uh, I mean, 20 to 30% of the empire is literally enslaved. And you lived in this pretty urbanized world of competition and just relentless hustle Mm. (laughs) where almost never did you feel like you were just known and loved. And then in the midst of that world, which also in its own way was a very technological world. Yes, I love how you write about Like they were advancing very fast. Exactly. They had amazing engineering. They had uh, this explosion of money, uh, kind of like our world has had. They had this explosion of knowledge uh, because they'd conquered the Arab and the Greek worlds and absorbed all those libraries. But that doesn't make it a good place to be a person Mm -hmm. all by itself. And in the middle of that world um, arises this community who know how to love each other, who call each other brother and sister, who end up doing everything together, including suffer together. And they start this social revolution that very slowly but relentlessly over the course of a few centuries changes Mm. the world that they knew. Mm -hmm. And Paul and his friends, Tertius, like they never saw the change. Like they they died and their world was just as lonely and just as powerful and overwhelming an empire. And in fact, for another century or so, no one would have said the Christians are making any difference. But in fact, it was growing patiently, slowly, truly. And gradually it started to change everything, Yes, which is what we need yes. now. Yes, yes, yes. And so then uh, the mammon part. 
the man. Right. <laughs> yes. Because that, because mammon. even yeah. then, would you say that the mammon culture was happening in Rome like it's happening here? Yes. Well, kind of. So I would say that our world, the emperor of our world is mammon in, yeah. in my view. Yes. Mammon being not just money, but the distorting spiritual power that comes along with money. Which I love that I didn't realize when Jesus says you can't serve God in money, he doesn't say money. He doesn't just say the, uh, a generic word for money. He, he says, says this thing, mammon, oh, which so is is like a proper name. And yeah. the first church fathers, the bishops and the teachers of the early church decided that what Jesus meant was he was really actually naming a, a demonic power. Wow. So it's it's the demonic power that, that finds its locus in human imagination in money and says, wow. if you worship this thing and serve this thing, you'll essentially become like God. And yeah. you'll have this amazing phrase from my friend John Tyson, abundance without dependence. Yes. That's the promise of mammon. So I would And that's say, the thing we're pursuing, right? That's the thing that's the we problem. seem to want. Yes, yes. That is I feel it in me, Andy. I feel it in me. Oh, completely. Completely. Oh. So Mammon was a reality in Jesus' world, but the truth is I think Caesar was the emperor of his world. Like oh. so but Mammon is the emperor of our world. Really? So it's actually worse than it was in the time of Jesus because I think it, even a thousand years ago, if you had said like some random European, let's say in Christendom in the, in the mm -hmm. year 1000, yeah. well, which of the demonic powers, you know, lust and sloth and greed and, uh, you know, list them all. Which yeah. one is like w winning? I don't know that you would have said one was winning. They all sort of r arise in human mm -hmm. affairs and human societies. But I think money and the spiritual power of money it runs our world in a way that would have been unthinkable. Globally, not glo just in the U.S. Globally, yeah. uh, wow. everywhere. Yeah. And, and so any nation is dependent on the global system of financial flows. All industry is dependent on this. More and more of human life is being caught up in this kind of swirling whirlpool of, of money and commoditization and financialization. Mm -hmm. There's less and less you can do and get done in the world without running it through the bank, yes. basically. Yes, And... This is a new thing in human history. Like uh, that that average European a thousand years ago or many people, even in the world, in some parts of the world today, like they wouldn't even handle money. Like you lived in exchanges of gifts and obligation with your neighbors and you worked land. Land was the major source yes. of wealth. But, but what happens in the history of the West is money – um, and wealth becomes dissociated from the productive land and the place where you live. And now it's the stuff you can first carry around, but now it's just imagination. Like it's just yeah. ledger entries. Yes. And it's, it is the power of our world. You talk in the book about how technology has made this new, like, now you'll be able to, <laughs> and, yeah, yes. and you'll no Always. longer have yes. to, but that, that is actually not serving us right. the way we think it is. That's right. Because a lot of the things it says now you'll be able to, well, I mean, some of them are useful, but I'm actually more concerned about the way it says you, your life can be easier. I think that's the, yes. the most seductive promise is, um, I read just yesterday, somebody in an article I was reading said, uh, it seems like the modern world has decided our job is to maximize profit and minimize effort, which I yeah, thought was- Yeah, work smarter, not harder. Uh, yes, what exactly. we say. And of course, I'm not saying that 
anybody's life is improved by just meaningless toil. And sure. I'm, I'm grateful for certain ways that technology has made our lives less full of toil. But when along with that, we start to dream, you know, what would really be good is if my life were easy. That right. is, I, I actually think it's a demonic whisper. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you like, like your life to be easier? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You right. will not like an easier life. Yes. You will you will be less satisfied with an easier life, and that's so hard to believe when you're dreaming of an easier life. Yes, but it's we and will you true. talk about charmed versus blessed? Yeah, yeah. I think this is the deepest r renovation we need. Yes, <laughs> is uh, we have. I think we've actually thought that blessed means charmed. So I say in the book, I think a lot of what I think people now only use blessed ironically on yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah. is my impression. Yeah. But there was like a season where yeah. that was like just hashtag blessed. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, I think most of that should have been tagged hashtag charmed. Like, and charmed being this kind of pagan magical idea, like fortune has smiled on you. You've just been super lucky today. And aren't you glad you were able to take a picture at that moment when you were just living this charmed life? The, a life that is very, seems very easy, a life that is just sort of effortlessly abundant mm -hmm. and beautiful and attractive, right? And when you think about the people who are blessed in the Bible, <laughs> their lives are not like that. Wow. Like, when does Jacob get the blessing? When his hip has just been permanently put out of joint, so the rest of his life he will not walk in the way he did as a young man. Mm -hmm. He's he's also about to face the most basic rupture in his life, which is his broken relationship with his brother. Yes. And it's at that moment that he's like, look, I'm just not letting go of you, whoever you are, who's wrestling with me in the middle of the night, unless you bless me. When Mary's blessed, um, blessed are you among women, you know, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus, but a sword is going to pierce your yes, heart. Yes. Like it's, it, there's nothing charmed about yes. the, the, the divine yes of, or the, the human yes of Mary to the divine invitation of God. So we've got to re reframe <laughs> our imagination for what our life should be from, I want my life to be charmed. To know I want my life to be truly, in the biblical sense, blessed. And that's going to mean it will have more suffering than I would have chosen. Not my will, but yours. Uh, if it's possible, let this cut pass. But if not, then I still want a blessed life. And the way there is probably going to be through some kind of suffering. And then... I, the thing is, charms are very hard to pass on. Mm. <laughs> they, for, for one thing, they expire. Right. You know, so youth is a charm. I mean, you're young for a while, but then you're not anymore. Right. You're, some people are beautiful for a while, but then you're not anymore. And you try to hold on to that thing, and it actually starts to eat you alive trying to hold on to that thing. Yes. Whereas blessing is this amazing multiply, multiplying force in human history that that spreads through our relationships and the people we're with the idea that even in the deepest suffering, God is going to be present. Love mm -hmm. can be present. And and if you aim for a charmed life, you'll never find out about what a blessed life really is. Yeah, but the problem, Andy, if I'm being full confession to you, is I do want a charmed life. Oh, I don't I want know. it to be hard. I know. I don't want it to be hard. We're doing a thing called Best Summer Ever this summer where we're all just like, if you could have the best summer ever, what would you do? What concert would you go to? Mm. How would you play outside? Who would you serve? Who would you take with you? And so a lot of our friends are making lists. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to do that is I also know there are some hard things coming this summer. Yeah. And so it's not that I don't want it. It's not that I don't want to feel the hard. It's that I want to actually intercept with some good. So how, yeah. how do we build lives like that where we're pursuing good, fun things? Yeah. 
but we're not trying to be have a charmed life. We're just trying to hold yes, yes and of joy yes. and suffering. Doesn't it? It seems to me it all depends on whether we're trying to escape. Mm. Uh, when I start dreaming of best summer ever as a way of escape, even even if I don't admit to myself that's what I'm doing, I think that's not good. I'm thinking about I'm. You probably know Sandra McCracken's song. Yes. We will feast in the house of Zion. We mm -hmm. will sing with our hearts restored. And there's something that song has been sung very widely, and it's it's such a moving song because. It is totally a promise of the best meal ever, the yeah. best feast ever. Yeah. But in the way she sings it, in the story of her own life that led to her being able to write that kind of song, mm -hmm. in just everything that we know and do not know that went into the making of that song is a journey through suffering. Yeah. And so, yes, we will... like feast and celebrate and we feast like uh, we lie down in green pastures in the valley of the shadow and yeah. we sit down to table in the presence of our enemies and there's a there's like a party going on at the gates of hell right yeah. when Jesus emerges so it's 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 not that there isn't incredible joy and there's nothing wrong with pursuing joy as long as it's not trying to escape yeah the, what's hard yeah because I think if it's escaping, it will be very shallow, it'll be very short-lived. Whereas when it's feasting in the house of Zion, it's, uh, yeah. it's a taste of what it, whole, all of eternity is gonna be like. Hey friends, just interrupting one more time to tell you about another amazing partner, Wild Grain. So it can get a little confusing trying to keep up with all the information and science around food and health, especially when the industry tosses around less than helpful terms like good fat and bad fat or good carbs and bad carbs. I sometimes feel like carbs are painted as the actual villain. Well, enter Wild Grains, my friends. With their slow fermentation and clean ingredients, bread is not the enemy. Start loving bread again with the clean ingredients and delicious simplicity of Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first bake from frozen box for artisanal bread. How cool is that? Plus, they have amazing rolls and pastries and even handmade pastas. Get it? Wild Grain uses only clean ingredients such as unbleached and non-GMO flour and utilizes a slow sourdough fermentation process that's better for you and tastes better than anything you can find in the grocery store. Plus, for every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank since they're a small team based in Boston, Massachusetts, which I think is super cool. They've donated over 120000 thousand meals so far. How awesome is that? Okay, so here's how it works. You sign up and choose which type of box you want to receive and how often. And then Wild Grain delivers for free a box of breads, pastas, and pastries with easy-to-follow instructions. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. And if you've got summer travels or your freezer's already stocked, no problem. It's easy to reschedule, skip, or cancel. Are you hungry yet? Okay, so for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants. Y'all, the croissants are to die for in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash that sounds fun to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash that sounds fun. That's wildgrain.com slash that sounds fun or you can use the promo code that sounds fun at checkout. 
And I've got one last amazing partner to tell you about, Indeed. Hiring can be a big challenge, right? I mean, who you invite into your work with you matters so much, but you're up for the challenge, right? You are. You just need a hiring partner that can help you rise to that challenge. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. One of the things I love about Indeed is how they have saved us time. It's not like we've got like time to waste. Neither do you. Indeed does the hard work for you. When you pay to post a job, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. The right candidate is doing everything they can to find you. And if you use Indeed, you can be sure you're doing everything you can to find them too. In the last minute, we've been chatting. Okay, in the last one minute. 16 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. That's impressive. Your crucial hire could be next. Sign up for Indeed right now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job, plus earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash sounds fun to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash sounds fun. Indeed.com slash sounds fun. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And now back to finish up our conversation with Andy Crouch. My worry with my Enneagram self, my personality, all the things is escapism (laughs) is really easy for me. It's a real Uh, good uh, solution in my brain. (laughs) But that also in a lot of ways is bowing to mammon to me as well, right? Of going like, do I have enough money that I don't have to feel this thing? Yes. And do I have enough wow. money that I can be independent of the pain and the people who cause the pain? Oh my goodness. Right? Is wow. that seem wow. true? I mean, that last thing is very deep, right? Because that's the dream. I could just escape. I don't have to go back and face the lament of what was done, what was undone, n- neglect you know, whatever, uh, whatever may be behind that. Mammon says, oh, you don't have to face that. But it actually means it stays with you yes. in a very deep way. As opposed to, I mean, this is, well, in, and it's interesting. I mean, this is Jacob's story, right? So Jacob has been completely estranged from his brother Esau because in this case, mostly Jacob has been the uh, aggressor, the yes. cheater, yes, the liar. It's, it's caused their relationship to rupture. They've been apart for a long time. He learns that Esau is coming his way. And, and what does he do? He's like, well, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm going to send all my stuff to Esau. So he sends all these presents. It's this kind of crazy thing. Yeah. He like sends 40 goats. And he's like, and make sure you tell him 40 more goats are coming right. after these goats. <laughs> he's trying to overwhelm the broken relationship yes. with these just sort of ridiculously lavish kind of presents. And he's left then alone, uh, having sent everything ahead, most of it in the form of these kind of appeasing gifts to his mm. estranged brother. And it's then that the man comes. And and the truth is, Jacob hasn't gotten out from under this thing at all. Like, it's all still there. Right. So, um, yeah, I think... It, the the worst uh, uh, well we I have two different thoughts at the same time one was we tried to teach our kids as they were growing up the only thing money can buy is bubble wrap mm. 
The only thing money really can buy is insulation from what really hurts. But when you insulate yourself from what really hurts, you also lose the ability to feel the real joy. Mm -hmm. And you just end up like in this mummified, like wrapped in layers of protection from everything. Mm -hmm. And then you'll do anything, including really ridiculous, addictive things to feel something. Yes. So the danger of living in an affluent society is that we we feel like just within reach is that is that just enough money <laughs> that I that I won't have to suffer in the way yes. I do. Does every community feel that or is that only affluent? Like do do lower income communities mm. in third world countries think that too? Lots of I mean, this dream has insinuated itself all around our world. Sure. So th- yeah. the the materially poor dream of it, the incredibly prosperous dream of it. But also in every place, there are people who have been set free from it. And right. that's not their dream. Right. And and that's true among the materially poor. And it's true among the very affluent measured by financial yes. wealth. But there are people and, and it is amazing to meet people in our community at Praxis where we work with entrepreneurs. Part of what happens when you're an entrepreneur is sometimes things go well and <laughs> you generate a lot of wealth because you generate a lot of value. And to meet people who are stewards in a few cases that I know personally, you know, hundreds of millions, if not a billion or so dollars. And, and to see a life that is free of that Mm. and free of the fear and the fantasy that mammon brings is quite an amazing, it's very humbling uh, actually. In a global technology opportunity, like an Instagram or a TikTok or a Twitter would to (laughs) me pass mammon around (laughs) That it doesn't matter what your home life is like. You can look no, exactly. at everyone in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and but and and those platforms are all. Let us never forget they they exist and are optimized entirely for advertisers. Yes. Their whole purpose is to insert between your friends doing their wonderful <laughs> friend things some product that yep. you need just a little bit more money to buy that will make you more like your friends when they're doing their Instagrammable things. Yes. And and the whole thing is optimized for for that. Not it is not optimized to help you pursue a flourishing healthy life. <laughs> Right. It is. There's this great phrase from this theologian, Craig Gay, who's really um, shaped how I think about technology. He says that the thing we have to always keep in mind about technology is it has no interest and it is not built primarily to help you live an ordinary embodied human life. Mm. Ordinary embodied human life is just not what it's trying to do. Yeah. What technology is trying to do is advance mammon in the world because ultimately wow. this technology can only be deployed at scale when it's part of these massive financial cash flows. And, you know, so TikTok just is rolling out just this week as we're recording the ability to track you across all these other websites, which for various reasons, they haven't turned on all that capability before on TikTok. Right. But now they are. And it's going to be this huge windfall for TikTok, huge windfall for their advertisers. Is that going to make TikTok a healthier place to be a human being? <laughs> I mean, it's not a very healthy place no. for a lot of human beings already. It. But it's following the logic, not of what will make people genuinely more creative, mm. genuinely more connected. None of that matters. It's yeah. what will make more money from this platform. Yes. And we, if we don't realize, like, you're being sold something every moment you are – and then you are being incentivized to create an image of yourself that says things are going great with mammon. In other words, you're right. – 
Like when you're in that special place that maybe you were able to afford a trip to or a vacation in, which can be a wonderful thing, but you're like, oh, I need to Instagram this. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that mindset? That's not, let me share the blessing of my life with my friends. No, <laughs> it's, it's like, look at the charm oh, no, of life. No, people will like this. Yes. Like, this will be a cool picture. Yes. And your index of what makes that a cool picture is it will fit into this mammon-driven stream of images really well. Right. And it'll make people think that this makes us happy. Right. <laughs> it's so gross. And it lives in me. It might as well be another arm on my body, Andy Crouch. That's the problem is I fight. I mean, I think we are so taught to be strong and independent. Huh. And you cannot do that. You cannot be as independent as the world tells you to be if you don't chase after some of that stuff. Wow. But the but we're pursuing the wrong thing. That's the problem. It's not the right thing, but... The only way you're as independent as is celebrated is if you have enough money to be huh. as independent as as people want you to be. Whereas and I you know, part of me thinks, well, but no, I I certainly want everyone to be strong in the right way. Like to but you you think about Jesus who had the like a bruised reed he will not break, right? Yeah. He had he had incredible flexibility, but incredible clarity of purpose. He there was nothing unstrong about Jesus. That's right. But independent, no, no. right? Because everything he did, he did in deep dependence on his father and in unnecessary dependence on human beings. Like <laughs> you know, like literally the, the women who provided for him. Yes. The, the Peter James on. He's like, hey, I'm gonna go heal Jairus's daughter. Peter James and John, come along. It's not yeah. like they can help. Right. But <laughs> like, but he, he was. They were dependent on each other. He wants yeah. them with him. Yeah. And he, so he who of above, of all people could have lived this, he could have been like, hey guys, just stand back. Let me go in there. I'm going to do the miracle. He's like, no, come. Uh, he, he's, he goes off on the mountain tra of transfiguration, where, which I think is not, I mean, the disciples are like, whoa, this is the revelation of who this really is. But in context, I think what that is, is Jesus is anticipating that he's going to the cross. He's going to the mm -hmm. grave. He is, it, Luke tells us, he's discussing with Moses and Elijah, Elijah his departure. That means his death. Yeah. He's conscious of his death in the way that his, uh, his disciples are not. And he's like, hey, I need to go meet with my friends, Moses and Elijah, yeah. <laughs> who will actually understand what I'm going through. But I want yeah. you, my friends who don't even understand, mm -hmm. to come and mm -hmm. be part of it. Yes. It's just amazing. It's I want, I'm going to read some of your writing to you. Can I do that? Just a couple of words about mammon. <laughs> we are not wrestling with flesh and blood when we name and confront the power of mammon. Mammon hates the personal, the familial, the communal. Above all, when these foundational human realities step beyond the boundaries of tribe, kind, and kin and embrace the other as brother and sister. Mammon is happy for you to provide for your family, especially if in doing so, you train them up in the way of usefulness, efficiency, and ambition. But mammon becomes furious when you sacrifice for those who cannot benefit you. Include in your home those who do not belong to you and care for those who will never care for you. Hmm. I mean, that's it. That's the canopy thing. Will you talk about mm. the canopy thing a little bit? Mm. Yeah. It, so in the book, I talk about how you cannot have a human life without being under a canopy of trust. Mm -hmm. So all of our, all of our, the, all the good parts of our lives happen under a canopy. So we're we're here having this conversation under a little canopy of trust. We set this time apart. We we 
uh, you're paying attention. Like you, you're entrusting me with attention. Mm-hmm. I'm entrusting you with my attention and my, you know, taking your questions and, and listening. And, you know, it, we're creating this little canopy. And, and in this case, this canopy dissolves after, you know, a little while yeah. uh, until the next time we're together, perhaps. But that then in turn happens other, under other canopies. And when you step out from under those canopies, when you feel like you can't trust the people around you, the systems around you, it is a horrible place to be a person. And to be super clear, most people live in, to some extent, in places with very wow. broken canopies of wow. trust. And and Mammon would like to get rid of all those canopies and say, oh, you didn't need them ever. You just need you me. You need them. Yep. And our vocation in the world, beginning with those closest to us, and I mean by that both maybe biologically closest, our closest neighbors, uh, but then also our closest friends, that anyone who is close to us, we've got to figure out how do I tend and repair and mend and and constantly remake this little canopy? And then how do we together make a bigger canopy that more people can shelter under? And how can those people make a bigger canopy? Because that's the only place human beings can flourish is an yes. environment of trust. Yes. And so many people for so much of our lives, we live out from under the shelter of those and think I'm on my own here, or maybe even strong and independent. Like I was meant to be here. I don't need that. But in fact, we do. We absolutely do. Yes. We don't have time to dive into it, but I am excited for people to read it and read about building households versus families. I think that's really important for our married friends and for our unmarried friends, figuring out how to build households. How many people know how to get into your house? How many people, where you said, how many people know where you are right now? Yeah. And, and, and to me, the moments that I have the most like, oh gosh, what am I doing with my life? Is if I'm on my social media or on my technology and I go, but nobody knows where I am. Yeah. None of my friends know that whether I'm in my living room or my bedroom or whether I'm in my car or if I, I mean, yeah. And so, so I think that is really helpful. Okay. Let's finish with this. And then we have one final question we always ask. (laughs) So the, then the big overarching question, which is too hard to ask is, so how do we do technology? Well, then how do we do culture? Well, if we want to live like Jesus, live in community, but don't need to throw our phones in the ocean and start a new life. Right. I mean, technology is good for all kinds of things. It's good for keeping us safe from meaningless risks. So sure. I'm all for that. It's good actually for production and distribution of stuff like, you know, this is going to go out over yes. technology and <laughs> we've had a meeting for conversation. Other people get to hear it. That's yes. great. But we just have to keep in mind all that is like secondary to the task of becoming someone who can actually offer something to the world. Wow. So technology is not good for creation and the formation of a person who uh, who can create something. Mm. So we just have to essentially keep being a person, the main thing that we're after in the world. A, a person is a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love. So I need every day, every time I pick up my phone, ideally, and I really have started to try to do this pretty seriously. Like I try to interrupt myself as I pick up that little glowing rectangle and say, are you about to try to distract yourself from being a person (laughs) and distract yourself from creation and formation? Or are you about to use this to do some creative or formative thing? Mm. And if I'm not most of the time picking it up uh, in the book, I call it using it as an instrument rather than using it as, as a device. Yes. I need to rebalance and I need to build my life ultimately around things that will last when the technology and the magic of the technology stops working. Because at the end of almost all of our lives, especially if we're granted a kind of a natural life, there will be this long season 
where yes, medicine will be able to help with, it'll perhaps be able to relieve some things, but all the deepest work of your life, I, I assure you, you will not be trying to put it on Instagram yes. <laughs> and you won't be able to benefit from Instagram. My own parents are in this season. They're in their eighties. They both have real challenges. I'm spending mm. five or six days a month with them yeah. and technology has so little to offer at that yeah. point. And by the grace of God, our family, as I was growing up, built built in just enough like real love mm. <laughs> that we can be so deeply together now in all the vulnerability of what they're going through and what it's like for me to be their son. And and the tech, it's a good thing we're not dependent on the technology because it really yeah. can't help. Yeah. Um, and it's a good thing we were formed when we could make choices early in our lives mm -hmm. in the way we have been. Yeah. So all of us need to just uh, sort of have the courage to yeah. say what I want to build uh, is a heart, soul, mind, strength, life of love. And if the technology is not helping, and most of the time it's not, yeah. I'm going to leave it plugged in and go outside yes. and be a creature and start growing yes. in the way I was meant to grow. I'm, I'm going to join you in walking outside after tea. I'm a tea person too. Coffee. Can uh, you imagine Andy Crouch, me with coffee? The world it. does not need that. <laughs> so I'm a tea in the morning person as well. Yes, indeed. That's a great idea. Okay. Is there anything we didn't say about the book that you want to make sure we say? Oh, this was plenty. I okay. mean, yeah, thank you so much. Oh my yeah. gosh. Of course. Well, I, I, I am such a genuine fan of your work and feel like you're one of the voices that in our faith life can help us the most. Truly, um, uh, you are pastoring in ways that so many people are looking for. So I'm really thankful. Um, the last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what sounds fun to you. It's spring in Philadelphia where yes. I live, and I am back out on my bike, which is the most fun thing I yeah. think I get to do. Yeah. So 20 miles of bicycling uh, every day sounds every fun. Every day. I got rained on yesterday. Well, if it's really <laughs> nasty, I don't go out because it's not super safe. But, yes. Uh, yeah, I got rained on yesterday, and I, it was like I, I was six miles in. I was like, well, I could turn around. Yeah. And I, I think this isn't going to continue. So I'm just going to get super, I got totally soaked. And then by the end of the ride, I was dry again. I'm so glad it was so fun. Yeah. It was, it's actually very fun to ride in the rain. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's the technology. Do you listen to anything? No, 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 no. No, it's just no. you and a bike. Me on the bike. Uh, the technology is monitoring. Like it's yeah. tracking my pace and my time because I'm really trying to push myself, yeah. um, which is also fun to yeah. like, try to beat that personal best. I, it's getting harder to beat like 45-year-old Andy now yeah. that I'm 54-year-old Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some personal best that may be out of reach right. at this point, but right. it's, it's fun to try. Right. Oh, well, Well, this this is the season. It's going to get good. Summer, I, I love being outside when it's hot. I was born and raised in this hot stuff, uh, so I can do yes. it. Okay. Thank you for doing this. I'm thank so you, grateful. Andy. So grateful. Oh, you guys, don't you love him? I know. I know. I like I know. Everything you're like, yes, Annie. I'm like, I know. Get your copy of The Life We're Looking For and be sure you're following Andy on social media so you can tell him thanks for being on the show. And we'd love for you to pass this on to your friends if you think that would be something that would be helpful for them. And it means so much to us. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the show before, wherever you are listening right now, that would be great if you could do that. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. And I'll do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is I heard that the That Sounds Fun network office has cookies. And I am interested. 
That's what sounds fun to me. I'm going to head over there. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here on Monday with the actress and Hallmark superstar, Alexa Pinavega. Y'all, I cannot be cool about this. Alexa Pinavega will be with us on Monday. We'll see y'all then.